Listener Production. For every job that you apply, on average, there's 250 applicants. So how do you make your resume stand out, um, especially within six to eight seconds? I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. To get a job, we need an interview. And to get an interview, we need a great CV or resume. But how do we write the resume that's going to get us noticed? And how are we putting together our life's work in one document? The next pressing question is then, how do we negotiate for a salary that we think we deserve? These are commonly held concerns by almost everyone in the workforce. Today, to negotiate the art of resume writing and salary negotiation is Claudia Miller. Claudia is a career and negotiation strategist, and she helps professionals secure dream jobs with dream salaries at their dream companies, including fast-growing startups and Fortune 500s and tech giants like Amazon, Google and Facebook. Business Insider named her one of the top 23 most innovative career coaches of 2020. Claudia is based in Chicago and she joins me on Fast Track today. Hi, Claudia. Thanks for having me, Maggie. So I really want to know why is a good resume so important to landing your dream job? Yeah, I mean, there are many reasons why a resume is important, um, especially because it represents who you are and it's a reflection of your branding, your achievements. Um, especially if you're applying to jobs where you don't have a referral or a network, the resume is really going to be the thing selling you um, when you're not going to be in the room and you're not going to be there. So you really need to have a really great resume that really speaks to three different types of people. And when I mean people, I put that in quotations because, you know, first when you apply Mm -hmm. through like a job portal or the company site, um, you apply and it needs to go through a computer system or applicant tracking system. So the resume really needs to be friendly for a computer system so that way it's able to extract the information, it's able to read it. You know, there's specific formatting that um, systems prefer where it's a little bit more readable. The second person uh, is the HR person. And that's, you know, they're typically maybe generalist. They're not necessarily like experts or subject matter experts or the hiring manager. They're more of like the gatekeepers so your resume needs to speak to someone that doesn't have a background um, and it's quickly glancing in your resume for like an average of six to eight seconds um, and really being able to capture the attention because, you know, on average, I was looking at some of the stats and of course this is pre-COVID, but for every job that you apply, on average, there's 250 applicants. And honestly, what I've seen right now during COVID, there's over 400 to 600 applicants for that one job. And that's like a mid-sized company. If you're applying to the Googles, Facebooks, and Amazons, it can range from anywhere from 1,200 to 2,000 applications. So you're really competing with a lot of people. So how do you make your resume stand out, um, especially within six to eight seconds uh, for a person that doesn't have like that expertise or background? And, you know, HR people are on average are hiring for anywhere between, you know, 40 to 60 different roles. And it can range from admin, marketing, sales, engineering, custodian, maybe. I mean, there's a wide range. So you really need to be able to capture their attention quickly. And what's the last group of people? I was just going to say, you've got a computer to deal with. Then you've got the generalist who's looking at things. What's the last group? 
the hiring manager. So you need to still that one document has to speak to the hiring manager who is a subject matter expert. And you still need to showcase your expertise quickly um, and be able to stand out from all the other applicants that they may review in their resume. So it's those three different people. And it's really an art and science on how to be able to uh, communicate to all those three levels. Let's talk about the computer first, because that fascinates me. And (laughs) I often talk to people who say, how do I get my resume or my CV at the top of the pile and beat the computer. Have you got any opinions on how we beat the computer while also talking to the hiring manager? Yeah, I mean, the best way is to get a referral that automatically helps you get to the top, but that alone still isn't the only thing. When writing a resume, you want to make sure that you have the right keywords. And I've, you know, I've talked to clients where before they started working with me, they'll say, you know, Claudia, I used to spend 45 minutes for every job applying, trying to personalize my resume. And honestly, it's taking a lot of time. And I agree, job searching alone, sometimes it's a job in itself. So I usually recommend my clients to use a free tool similar to JobScan. It's free and it allows you to paste your job description wherever you're applying to. And then you can paste your resume and it scans it and it'll say, by the way, um, you are missing 15 out of the 30 hard skills that we're looking for. And then it tells you the skills you're missing. So it's easy. This is a fantastic <laughs> new app. How long has this been around for? Um, a few years now. Wow. And they, they do a really good job of really improving like their algorithm. Now, it's not like a one-on-one match um, just because there's different levels of ETS or applicant tracking systems. There's like different versions So it does tend to be a little bit sensitive. Uh, What I mean by that is tense. So if you put in the job description says, I'm looking for someone that's very collaborative, but in your resume, you write collaborates well, it'll say, well, you're still missing collaborative. But most ATS systems are not that sensitive. So never take it with like a one-to-one match. As long as you have the same word in different tenses, it's still okay. So if we use this app, it'll help us come to the most attention to the computer and get through the system to the next level. Yeah, you still need to have a really good foundation resume. So if you have like a generic resume where it's very passive, and what I mean by that is if you write in your resume, you know, responsible for everyday tasks and operations and manages a team, that's very passive. I mean, so if you're a manager, I expect you to manage a team, but instead you want to be more proactive. And what I mean by that is, you know, sets the vision and strategy um, for the financial department and works alongside um, top leaders within the company to manage a financial budget of over $50 million across three different markets within Germany, US and UK or something like that. That's very different than what the previous was just responsible for day-to-day operations and manages a team. Okay. So trying to be specific, putting in numbers and budgets and actually the actions that you are responsible for. Yes. That's what I'm hearing. Is that right? Correct. Very proactive um, verbs. Like I said, responsible sounds very passive and it's very generic and a lot of people have that in their resume. So you want to make sure you have a solid foundation of a resume, that it's very proactive, it's quantitative, you're providing examples and accomplishments. Just say that you uh, manage a team of 15 people with an annual revenue or an annual number of 10 million a year is not still not good enough. It could be something like, i.e., you know, when I started in my department, on we were averaging 7 million and within 12 months, we were able to increase it to 15 million. All of a sudden, now you know you had a part in it. It's not like you took over a revenue number of 15 million from to start with. 
Okay. I've got another question about this because people often say to me, but I did it with a team. Oh, I couldn't have done it with others, so I can't put it in my resume. Yeah. What do you say to that? You have the knowledge and expertise. So let's just say you didn't, I mean, you probably did a portion. Some of us, you know, have done portions of it, never everything. But we want to talk about what is our portion and stop talking about we. More women tend to say we, whereas men tend to say I. So don't be afraid to say I did this or I did that. Now, when writing a resume, you don't necessarily want to do an I. It's more of like from a third person point of view, I would say. You know, let's just say you work as a project manager and you were looking to make a system update. So you had to work with technical team, maybe the finance team. Maybe you were using some customer service um, as well as a customer success manager. You can say, you know, co-led a project um, to do a system updates within the finance department to really improve processes because, you know, project was based on customer complaints and we were able to deliver quickly and within budget within three months successfully. That is knowledge that you now have. Okay, they're great examples, Claudia. So if we've got through the computer and the HR generalist is sifting through who they're going to put through to interview to the hiring manager, are there any tips around that part that we need to add into apart from the ones you've just made into the resume or CV? Yes. So remove a lot of jargon or if you're going to use jargon, spell it out because they're generalist, um, like I said, they're hiring for many roles. So they're not going to know sometimes what a KPI is or an SLA you want to type it out, service level agreements, and then you can put in parentheses SLA. So that way, make sure that your resume can be understood from someone that's not in the industry. Like if you were to give it to your mom or your friend that's in a different industry, and if you gave them your resume, would they understand what you do? Or is it so cumbersome and complicated? They have no idea. If they can't understand what you do, then you don't. You need to rewrite that resume. Like for sales, like I mentioned, you know how big of a difference or the big impact that growing from a business from 7 million to 15 million in 12 months, that's kind of a big deal. I don't need to be an expert to understand like that's a great accomplishment. Clearly you're doing something really good. Yeah. So you've increased revenue. Yeah. Okay. And would you put things like awards and uh, published articles in your resume these days? Yes. If there's space. On average, I have clients anywhere between one and two pages. Anything after that, it's irrelevant. They're not even, they're barely going to focus on the second page anyways. Now, if it's a CV, that's when, you know, they want your entire work history, your publications and everything. So that would be longer, but on average for a resume, it should be one or two pages. And a lot of the concrete information should be in the first page because more than likely they're not going to go to the second page. So that's more for the computer system, but a quick way if you're short on space, you can say on the summary portion, you can say, oh, award-winning architect with 10 years of experience with a background in designing retail establishments or something like along those lines. Instead of saying all the awards, you could just position and brand yourself as award-winning architect. Okay. This is terrific. So you've submitted your resume, you've gotten through, you're at the interview. What are the most important things to consider and prepare for, for that interview? Having you think about the hiring manager is sitting there, they've got your resume in front of them, and now they're going to interview you. What would your top tips around that interview be? What I tell clients and you know job seekers out there, if you're prepared for the interview two to three days before the interview, it may be too late. When I work with clients, I work with them at least four to six weeks before they start interviewing. And at that point, it's hard to compete with, if you've only been preparing for a job in every two to three days, it's hard to compete with someone that's been doing it for four weeks. 
I mean, there's just so much into it. That's how I've been able to get clients thirty to fifty thousand dollars in salary increases. They get job offers above the salary range. I had a client where she was making ninety-two thousand, left her job for personal reasons, was out of work for six months, couldn't find another job. And then we started working together and they told her the job only paid up to 130 or 135. She was offered 148,000 and we still negotiated other benefits. Okay. So I really want to know about how to get that salary increase in a minute. But what I'm curious about is what do you prepare with them for that four to six weeks? Like, are we preparing every possible answer or are we relating that back to the resume that we've sent or the job description? What are the things that we need to prepare? Yeah, it's a really combination. So one thing is really understanding uh, the company. And I don't mean looking at their company website, maybe looking at Glassdoor reviews. I'm think, I'm talking about listening to their earnings call if they're a public company. How did they do last quarter? What are they looking to do the next you know, quarter, the next 12 months? Because now we know where their priorities and resources are going. If you're applying to a sales job, and they just finished creating a new product and now they're looking to launch it and bring it to market. Now we know that they're gonna be spending a lot of resource and time within the sales department. What is their growth that they're looking for? Will you be part of that vertical or would you be selling that product? That's information you wanna have. I also tell clients to network within the company or the industry itself because that'll give us a better understanding of like, where's the market going? What are the priorities? What maybe did they client lose a big client? And now that, you know, probably brought in 30% of that revenue, that's very important because that could be a good pulse indicator that there may be layoffs going on if they don't get a next client. So we've looked at the organization, what else do we need to prepare? Also, you know, creating your story toolbox. Uh, That's what I like to call it. You know, having a story of a time where you had to do something where you didn't have experience. At times they might say, well, you know what, Claudia, you don't, we're really looking for a project manager, but you don't have experience with working with technical teams. And we're really looking for someone with that background and expertise. Well, then you can bring a story of saying, you know what, I totally understand. And I can see why that's a concern. Actually, within my last role, I worked a lot with technical teams. And not only that, but I was able to translate that um, to business acumen and be able to connect with and talk with the customer. So that way, I'm able to speak to both. And at the time when I started actually this role, I didn't know how to do, I don't know, project planning. And I knew I needed to learn this skill set. So on a weekend, I went ahead and took a course on Coursera. And within that weekend, I successfully knew how to do project planning um, with a budget, and I was able to deploy it by Monday. Uh, and my manager and you know leaders were happy with the end result. Okay, so you're turning what may be a deficit into a possibility through your other experiences. Yeah. Okay, so you're researching the organization. You're looking at the multiple applications of your skill set. What else do you need to prepare? Um, Having the negotiation conversation um, and preparing the interview itself, your responses. I feel that a lot of people try to wing it or they'll figure it out once they get on the during the interview. Uh, but they don't actually prepare. They tend to ramble on or they don't say enough or they didn't even answer the entire question. So I have clients prepare for the interview. Like, what are the responses? What are the top three things that you want them to know about you? 
How are you going to tell them when they say, tell me about yourself? How are you going to stand out from all the other candidates? What questions do you have for them? Asking, you know, like, why do you like this company? So you worked for for five years. It's very generic. Um, You want to make sure all that company insights and research that you did beforehand can bring it during the interview and be able to ask really thought-provoking questions that's going to showcase and elevate you as a candidate. I mean, really showcase your expertise and insights that you have within the company or industry. And lastly, like sound negotiation. I feel like people don't practice it. They get nervous. Um, So it's important you practice it so that way it sounds conversational. You sound cool and confident as opposed to nervous or you just say yes and then you regret that you didn't negotiate and now maybe a little bit too late. Well, this is, I really, this is my next question. And this is where, what point in the interview process do you suggest salary negotiation conversation What's the best way to do this? I know from my years of experience that people ask me this question all the time. Should I mention salary in the first interview? Should I wait for the second interview? I know it's dependent on context, but what is your learned experience here around when we bring up, and that's a when, not how, but when we bring up the salary negotiation conversation? Yeah, if, you know, in a perfect world, I would say bring up the sound negotiation conversation once you get the job offer or towards the end, because you really want to know more about the role. For example, if you are a manager and you're currently managing 10 to 15 people and you're looking to apply to like a director level position and then you later find out that you'll be managing 300 people, that's a big difference. That's a lot of responsibility and the pay should be according to that responsibility. So that's why I would say if you can, in a perfect world, try to negotiate towards the end once you have all the information, once you know all their responsibilities. What are some of the metrics they're looking for this person to achieve? Where are they currently now? Are there resources for that? That gives you time to sell yourself. Most of the time when, you know, conversations with HR at the beginning, they might say something like, By the way, before we move forward, we want to make sure that we're both on the same page. Can you tell me what your salary requirements are for this role? At that point, you don't have enough information. Like, you don't know their responsibilities. Is there resources set up? Like, what are you looking to achieve? And they just have a number that they're given. Hey, we can pay anywhere between $100,000 and $150,000. And if, let's just say, I would say in that situation, say, oh, you know, I appreciate that. Um, You know, I'd be happy to discuss that number with you. I'm still yet to find out the, all the responsibilities included in this role, but would you be able to share with me what is the salary range for the role? And then just bring it back to them. Yeah, you're turning it back on that. It's very, very clever. Okay, so how do we know what the salary range is before we walk in there? Is there any way we can research this? I've just learned about a new job app scan, you know, for the computer. So have you got anything where we can research and leverage our salary requirements? Yeah, so... When I said research the company and you know my clients, I work with them four weeks or six weeks before they start interviewing. One of the things is networking with people within the company. So that way we can say, hey, by the way, and you usually want to go two to three levels above whatever job you're applying for, because those people tend to be a little bit more transparent on the salary. So you might say, by the way, Jane, um, I noticed that you're the director of operations and you're currently managing a you know, business analyst. I'm curious to know, I looked on Glassdoor and the salary range said anywhere between 60 to 120. Clearly, that's a big range. But from your experience, you know, what does that salary look like for a business analyst within a technology SaaS company? 
and they might say, oh, you know, I usually pay my business analysts anywhere between 75 to 95 with a 10% bonus if they hit their metrics. Or um, they might say, oh, when I used to be a business analyst, I got paid around 90,000. And I, you know, at that time we got a $5,000 sign-on bonus, plus we got stock and we got 10% bonus commission at the end of the year. That actually helps us shorten that range. And what have you met with a no, a firm no, and you start to negotiate your salary and you'd say, really, to leave my mm-hmm. current role, I would need a 20% uplift. And if they say, no, we can only afford this. Is it a negotiation you take forward from there on or do you just accept the no? It's really up to the person. I always tell clients that you should have a minimum that you're willing to take. So what does that look like? So usually if that were to be the case saying, hey, Claudia, we're going to offer you um, 90,000. And then what I would say is, you know, thank you so much. I'm excited about the opportunity and the company as well. Um, I'm really looking for a salary of 115,000. Is there any way we can close that gap? And it kind of gives them control. Okay, that's fantastic. So there's this other sense that people think that they can pad up a salary negotiation with extras that mightn't actually be on a base salary. So things like increased superannuation, which we have in this country, or an opportunity for getting a car parking space if that was something you liked, or an executive coach. Are these things that we should be negotiating there and then in that point before we sign the contract? Yes. Kind of like, how can we close that gap? People can get creative. They might say, you know what, can we just give you a $10,000 sign-on bonus? Or we'd be happy to pay for your professional development. Or you can say, if they really get back with you at a no, then you can say, you know, I'm really looking for a salary of $115,000. Maybe with that base, but could we get a little bit more creative, like other ways? Um, You know, one thing I've been really looking to is getting a black belt in Lean Six Sigma, and that certification is around $10,000. Would the company be open to pay for my certification? And, you know, that would really close that gap. And I'd be more than happy to take on the role for that, you know, salary. So if it's really something, if you're looking for $80,000 and they're offering you $60,000, and they're really not able to move up, I would still ask that question, how can we close that gap? They might say, well, let me get back to you. Let them get back to you. And they might just have to reach out to the hiring manager and say, hey, Claudia wants this salary. I know you told me up to 60,000, but they're really looking for that. What are your thoughts? And if they can't come back at 60,000, they don't want to get creative. It's up to you. I typically, what I have seen is people can always find an extra 10 10 to 15,000, unless it's like a non-for-profit then then they're more willing to negotiate other benefits that are tax writable for them. But at the end of the day, it's up to that person, that candidate. Is this good enough for you or not? Or do you want it? There's other job opportunities out there. You can apply to other jobs and get that 20, 30K salary increase that you're looking for. Fantastic. Look, Claudia, finally, I just love your top tips on resume writing and your top tips for negotiating a salary. Yeah. So for resume writing, one of the things is data, measure the data. If you're applying to 20, 30 roles and you haven't even gotten at least five interviews from there, either rewrite your resume or hire a professional because I've had clients apply to 300 jobs and had one or two interviews and they could have prevented all that time being wasted had they done something from the beginning and gotten better results. So that's my focus on the data. Or if you're getting interviews but not job offers, you clearly need help with interviewing skills. So Look at the data in order to decide what your next step should be. For salary negotiation, practice. 
practice a lot, whether it's with your spouse or partner or friends, whatever it is, practice because it should come out very casual, conversational. It's not confrontation or anything at all. It's just, hey, I'm looking to like, how can we work together to make sure you practice? This will help you get ahead in your life. And I use this strategy, same thing with my business and in careers. That's really have given me disproportionate results. And it's understanding what are other people doing? What are their habits? And how can I stand out from them? And same thing with resume, interviewing, start negotiation. What I mentioned, most people don't do. And that's why when I work with clients and I show them the strategies and how to do it, they're able to get disproportionate results. They can get those salary increases, those job offers, get jobs at Netflix or Hulu or whatever that is, just because they've applied that strategy. Claudia, what a powerhouse you are and how fantastic that you're sharing these great tips with us about two really critical things, resume and CV writing and the salary negotiation, because if we can make those things work, then our life can really change with the different possibilities for different jobs. I really want to thank you for being on Fast Track today and giving so much of your knowledge and time. Thanks for having me. And I hope your listeners found this information helpful. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.